Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2020. My name is Amato, and with me are... Torytron. And, and Dom. You, you, you were a robot the whole time? I, I never knew. I was in disguise. You know, on that note, I'm going to be changing my name <laughs> to something that mm-hmm. reflects my you know, job occupation better. Uh-huh. I'm thinking of Fix Grounger. Sounds like a transformation. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like word verber is a pretty solid baseline. Word yeah. verber. That's Wait. also a good one. <laughs> you mean noun verber? Like it doesn't have to be a noun, does it? I mean I guess, but if it's verb verber, then you're just like Well Wait, I've got to Megatron say Megatron is adjective noun. Eh, anyway. <laughs> is a tron hey. a thing? Yes. Now, look, not to jump ahead too much, by the way, but mm-hmm. we were exposed to a whole lot of Decepticons in this fanfic, and yeah. I knew, like, five of them, which means oh, there yeah. were a whole lot of, like, new names coming at me, and how badass a name is Sinner Twin. Oh, I know. Sinner Twin. Yeah. I had to look up so many Decepticons for this fic. <laughs> I did not look up so all of them. Interesting. Yeah. I wasn't really aware that uh, flying robots were primary... Primarily Decepticons. I guess they were mostly uh, robots in the skies. <sighs> I I don't actually know if that's true. Like, I mean, maybe it's true. I don't know if it's actually like a it was ever a political thing in the Transformers world. But the author was really seeking an explanation for everything in the Transformers universe in this, and and they did a great job. Uh, not to jump mm-hmm. ahead too much. So, Amato, <laughs> what fan fiction are we talking about today? We are talking about the fanfic best. First, by Sky Shadow, published in, I want to say 2002. I hmm. don't have that pulled up. Um, let's, let's pull that up. 2002. You can find a link there on a, the TransformersFanfic.com website. You can find a link there at bit.ly slash rfrbest. And this is a fanfic that I've had on the list for like the entire duration of our show. Not because it's like super, super famous or anything, but just because like it's it's a result of my early researches, early fix grounding, and we we just haven't gotten to it yet, and so finally we got to it. Um, I kind of thought it would be a pretty straightforward fanfic, and I was very, very wrong. Mm-hmm. I thought it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's well, not that it's not straightforward. It's, it's it's like, oh, reading the, the summary. Finding himself at the mercy of Optimus Prime, Thundercracker bargains with the only thing that he has to offer, a story. It is a tale from a time when the Autobots were led by an Iaconian lawman named Sentinel Prime. So it's like, okay, we're going to have a framing story, and then we're going to have like a story about Sentinel Prime. Mm-hmm. And like, there is a framing story, but the story within the story is about a whole lot of different characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's primarily a political story. Yeah. And, and and kind of like exploring philosophy. Like it's told from Thundercracker's perspective when he's captured by Optimus Prime and he's bargaining for his life by telling a story. But within his story, he espouses bits of ideology and philosophy as well as other Decepticons' ideologies and philosophies and talks about the whole like histor- history 
and like a big political uh, climactic event in the history of Cybertron. So it's really intense. Before we get into that, though, we should probably talk about our background with Transformers or lack thereof. <laughs> because in my I, case, I've, I've like browsed the Transformers wiki in college and read Short Packed, and that's like my entire background on everything. I think that's my experience, but a little bit less. I remember when I was little, my cousin had a bunch of Transformers, and I enjoyed the puzzle of trying to figure out how they transformed because it wasn't intuitive but it was fun rewarding to figure out totally (laughs) um transformers has had a huge impact not only on you know kind of our contemporary culture of first of all absorbing japanese animation in that origin but like also toys like in the preschool i teach in one of the preschools i teach in uh there's these little they're essentially transformers, but they transform into letters of the alphabet. And you know what? We one, have those. Yeah. We have Alphabots. <laughs> we have all 26 of the, you know, they come as a set. I They're really cool. Um, I tried to figure out how quickly they could transform from a robot into a letter. Each one does it in five motions or less, but they're all distinctly different motions. And I, I find them very elegant. Um, they're really cool. But uh, yeah, that's Transformers was one of those things that sparked a toy line and the toy line sparked more cartoons and actually i'm not quite sure which came first in terms of transformers i think it was the toys first right it was toys that were in other lines of toys like i mean not branded as transformers that were then rebranded as transformers and packaged with a cartoon and then a whole bunch of other stuff spinning off from that. That's my understanding. It was like that, that time in the late 80s where toys and cartoons were just tied together. Like, cartoons were a way to market toys. But Transformers created this huge legacy and toy designers created amazing toys out of it that went on to have their own backstories that the cartoon ran with. And it, I think it's super <laughs> Well, good, because I, I just l- made you read 40,000 words about it. Yeah. Uh, and that being said, I... um did watch Transformers in my youth, but my memory of it is not as strong as Beast Wars. Um, that one was the one I think that came around more around my Can I read a little bit of the wiki? Go for um, that's all right. Only a little, because it's a, <laughs> a den of madness. It, it is, but this is under the toy article. Okay. Toy. In contrast to most science fiction franchises, toys are the core of, tra- of the Transformers brand. Its original reason for being. Most Transformers fiction exists to showcase, spotlight, promote, and in general, sell toys. Merchandi- mer- merchandise and other non-transforming, quote, artifacts also generally exist in support of the toy lines. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the franchise's idea of what came yeah. first, I guess. And I feel like it was uh, kind of the first one to do that, like, as far as my knowledge and memory set the mold I don't know about first I mean it was definitely an 80s thing right but uh, in any case certainly super influential well, the toys and, were hugely popular because who doesn't want a toy that transforms from robot into truck you know like that's super <laughs> what I like is because they had taken several toy lines and you know mushed them together the original transformers that's where a lot of 
like the weirdness of the Transformers race comes from where it's like, yes, a lot of them turn from a vehicle into a robot and some of them turn from a robot into a cassette tape or perhaps a gun <laughs> or maybe some kind of beast or maybe some combination of all of those things. Or one or, third of a camera. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> one third of a camera. surveillance device. It's a camera. <laughs> uh yeah so the transformers fandom is like a crazy dedicated like strongly established thing it feels like because you kind of have to be just to like grapple with it um they've got like a million continuities that have weird relationships to each other like this one this fanfic apparently is coming out of the marvel comics continuity which gets super weird just by itself because there's two at least two main marvel comics continuities there's like the one with the comics that were published in america and then the one with the extra comics that were published in the uk that i don't know um it makes my brain hurt but that seems to be the baseline of this story taking a brief look at the list of series most of them sport some sort of comic also so yes i'm not sure saying comic narrows it down much well, the, the Marvel comics comic. Marvel uh, Um. Yeah. So did this author, do we know, draw mostly from the cartoon series or from the comics? Or where are they getting it, it their appears, information? It appears to be... I mean, you know, look, for all I know, they could be drawing from like 50 different continuities and like drawing elements from them and mushing them together. But in conversation, I did enough research to know that Prime and uh, Thundercracker specifically reference a very specific event or two from the Marvel Comics continuity. I see. So, uh, would it be fair to say this author probably has some fairly extensive knowledge in the Transformers universe? I mean, I'm assuming since... I mean, as far as I can tell, but I don't know anything. Yeah. I think that sounds like a (laughs) prestigious title. The continuity is deep and twisted. They they could just have a normal, or maybe even surface level for all, all I know. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, maybe like the real Transformers fans are reading this and saying like, ah, can't believe that you know they referred to, you know, <laughs> Jackamus Decepticonimus as like an Ionian when clearly they were like created in Truckburg. I don't know, like <laughs> who knows anything. <laughs> Life's like a hurricane here in Truckburg. <laughs> <laughs> populated entirely by trucks for no clear reason <laughs> i mean this author would make a clear reason oh definitely okay in, in, okay so in, in truckburg could you have the beetle boys and just have them all be like vw beetles well i mean yeah. yes not? they're not trucks but the beagle boys aren't ducks so why not yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right let's jump into the story a little bit Okay. It we got a frame story, as the summary suggested. The frame story takes place on Earth at mm-hmm. some point in the interminable Decepticon Autobot War. Yo, and can I just op- say I forgot Earth even existed in the Transformers universe? But apparently, <laughs> it, when I looked up on the wiki, it was just like Earth shows up in an unrealistic number of times <laughs> for oh, Transformers. Yeah, I think anyway. I think everything tends to happen on Earth. Actually, I mean on yeah. Earth or on <laughs> that other place. It's just like, uh, they have on Earth. Oh. Um, I mean, even Beast Wars is technically Earth, right? Not technically. Uh, explicitly. No, hmm. no it's definitely okay. Earth. 
right? <laughs> no, it, it's Earth because later they find uh, Teletran 1, which has yeah. uh, shut down Optimus Prime and the, the other Decepticons uh, waiting to be reactivated. Right, but it's like the very far future. But I guess that kind of cements the importance. No, no, it, 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 it's it's in the far past. Yeah, God, I always get that mixed up. <laughs> There's no difference in science fiction. Um, anyway, moving on. <laughs> All right, so Optimus Prime has captured Thundercracker and could totally dispatch. I I mean him. The story calls them all nail. It's you know it's one of those Transformers things. Could d- definitely dispatch them, whatever. And mm-hmm. Thundercracker is basically just trying to talk Optimus Prime out of killing them, and therefore um, kind of seizes on, hey, let me tell you about this time that I meant, met Sentinel Prime, who is Optimus Prime's predecessor in terms of having the Matrix of Leadership or whatever that MacGuffin is that Optimus Prime has. Mm-hmm. And Thundercracker begins a interminable story that, you know, goes on for a very long time. It's not really a, like... What do you call it when it's like trying to avoid hitting the point or like a story that meanders off in like various asides that don't matter um, as a term? I mean, you could say tangential narrative. Yeah, there's a more colloquial term that I'm forgetting. But anyway, it, it's like it's all a continuous narrative with a start and an end. It's just that it's very, very long. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it cuts back and forth between mostly that story and the occasional check-in with Thundercracker and Optimus. Optimus occasionally interjecting, or them occasionally having some like little yeah. side conversation or whatever, before the, they get back to the main story. The frame narrative is interspersed very interestingly, because I actually feel like the main narrative, which is the reflective story that's being told, um, gets longer and longer like in between interruptions as it goes on. And I feel like that helps to build the momentum of the story you're right. It also fits in with how Thundercracker keeps complaining about Optimus interrupting him, them, mm-hmm. it, robot. Yeah. Um, early on in the story. Earlier on, throughout like the first half, it's like this will go faster if you stop interrupting. Then Optimus is like, "Well, I've got a gun to your head, so." <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of fades out, and the um, the main narrative takes over the frame. Yeah, later on, Optimus is just kind of, like, lying on the grass, you know, just making themselves comfortable, and uh, Thundercracker has a couple times of, like, thinking, like, can I get out of here? And Optimus is like, don't don't even try. <laughs> More than once. Yeah. This has the interesting position of Optimus Prime being, like, really just kind of... Not even... No, not even, because he's not in the main narrative. In the frame, he's just kind of a vehicle for Thundercracker's uh-huh. story. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. see what you did. Well done. Really, yeah, he doesn't really serve a purpose other than to be the person to whom Thundercracker is. Right. And it's interesting Optimus being looked at only from a Decepticon's perspective, because you know, from what little Transformers media, you know, I've engaged with, it's Optimus is fairly often a viewpoint character, you know, and it's just like, oh, I'm a heroic person who's trying to do my best. And here, Thundercracker is our perspective. And so Optimus is just like a super scary badass who could easily destroy them. And that's mm-hmm. like the main thing about Optimus here that is like relevant. Well, like, the interesting thing about the whole story to kind of talk about it 
um, uh, in general, the, the whole thing. The story that Thundercracker tells is from their own viewpoint, and it's entirely self-centered, but it is basically a lot of explaining a lot of Optimus Prime's backstory mm-hmm. and, um, origins, almost. Yeah. yeah, sort of incidentally, you know? Like, yeah. you don't get the impression that Thundercracker has any intention of that. In fact, there's a point where um, Thundercracker, I guess I won't elaborate too much until we dig into it, but Thundercracker does something and he realizes that the thing he did might be the inspiration for Optimus Prime taking the name that he did. And he's like, kind of like shocked and horrified. He's like, oh, no, no way. <laughs> and so he has to like restrain himself from pointing it out and feels kind of embarrassed, I guess, you know? Right. Yeah. So I guess let's start the main story. It starts in a really interesting place. There's the Decepticon Autobot War raging on Cybertron. It's much more political and geographical than like we're used to um, in a, you know, Transformers media on Earth where it's just like these robots are trying to beat up those other robots sort of perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Thundercracker is... Okay, so Thundercracker is a Thundercracker, and Thundercrackers are flying shock troops that the Decepticons send out, like, in waves to, like, soften up the Autobots and kind of, they have an extremely high attrition rate. To um, so casualty cha- rate. To so chaos and discord, in general. Right. Yeah. It, and this is kind it's of the basis of op- for the story, is the Thundercrackers are, like, the weakest robots, but they're sent out first. And it's, uh, it's an awkward thing about the story that the main character, Thundercracker, is not has a name implicitly that we never hear said in the story at the very end of the story thundercracker will take the name thundercracker as their name but until then it's like people calling them by their title of thundercracker or another title that they get that they pick up later well it's like higher ranked decepticons are the only ones that call this character by name and they call them by like the group of things they are it's like oh it's a thundercracker hello thundercracker (laughs) <laughs> and it's just like nobody else is given the name, you know, like is the name's not put into any other character's mouth. So like we're just calling them Thundercracker throughout the whole story, so, right? I yeah. have a curiosity about this because this was the one sticking point for me, not knowing a whole lot about Transformers, like, you know, kind of the basic notes. I know Thundercracker is a character. Um, did the author invent, do you all know, the idea of Thundercracker as a because it sort of seems like they did. It as far as I up, can tell, yes. It, it didn't show up anywhere in the wiki. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that's the main thing is like the author is extremely creative because they lent so much to the universe. And they lent this whole idea that Thundercrackers are this kind of low level robot that are always sent out in the front lines. Like a jarhead sort of thing. Before the big guy, bad guys come in. But yeah. they wanted to focus on this character called Thundercracker. Um, <laughs> and have his reclamation of his name as Thundercracker be important. He goes through this whole emotional journey getting there. Um, I guess we'll get to that. Yeah. The early plot is that Thundercracker and their, like, uh, squad friends, you know, come back to, like, Castle Decepticon, which is apparently a place that was, like, named in the very first issue of the Marvel comic and then never referenced again, but whatever. It's where the Decepticon Overlord has their political headquarters. The Decepticon Overlord, by the way, just throwing it out there, is not Megatron at this point. That's a another character. 
Yeah. I, me too. I was confused at first. Because, like, we just expect it to all be Megatron all the time. But in this case, no. And due to a series of... I mean, Thundercracker ends up being in the wrong place at the wrong time and being volunteered by the Decepticon leadership to go out and talk to Sentinel Prime, who has set up a blockade, like, outside of the castle. Sentinel Prime being a very high-up enemy Autobot. And Transformers is one of those franchises where, like, if you are high up in the leadership, it means you are a dangerous badass. It's like D&D logic, where it's like, well, yeah, the king has to be, like, at least 14th level. Mm-hmm. That kind of deal. Yeah, because if you don't, somebody else is going to kill you and take it over. Right. I mean, it, it doesn't not make sense in this kind of context, but it's just that kind of setting. So, like, no one wants to be the one to go out and, like, see what Sentinel Prime wants. I'm sorry, I'm reading about Overlord rank on the wiki. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Apparently there were the wiki a, is a... a ruling lineage of Autobots on Cybertron before the onset of the Great War. So there <laughs> were a class of bots. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the, there's a political frame narrative here that's like uh, the Overlord changes a couple times. Uh, Well, I guess we'll get to that. I don't. Well, anyway, Thundercracker goes out and talks to Sentinel Prime. Sentinel Prime is like, "Look, oh, you're a Thundercracker, like perfect. I'm here to tell your leadership to stop sending out weak troops who, like, you know, we have to keep killing and stuff. He doesn't want the slaughter and wants to, like, actually be able to face the leadership on the, you know, on the battlefield." It's like, go tell them to rescind their weak first policy, or that kind of thing. Or, like, work against it, or something like that. Tell them to send out the best first. Tell them to send out the best first, right? Yeah. Um, Hence the title. Title drop. Mm -hmm. And, um, and obviously, you know, Sentinel Prime's perspective is, like, perspective is, you're a thundercracker, like, this is in your best interest as well, because you're just being used as, like, sacrificial pawns all the time. Yeah. But... What ends up happening is that Thundercracker goes back, you know, and they're so impressed just by Thundercracker going out and talking to Sentinel Prime and getting them to go away, and there's a convenient leadership position open, that Thundercracker is immediately promoted to Minister of Propaganda. Yeah, (laughs) that happened kind of (laughs) quick. It was abrupt, but I like, you know, it's, I I like the political feel, where it's not like in the Decepticons, right? It's not like what I'm familiar with from like Decepticon or Predacon, like, oh, you know, people stab you in the back all the time. It's not quite that level, but it's like, yeah, everybody does need to kind of watch their back in the sense that like your political position is precarious and based on people sponsoring you or you being useful to the right people or whatever, or, you know, not pissing off the wrong people, that sort of thing. And because and it's like of the their predecessor um... pissed off the wrong people. And because of their weak first policy, losing your political position means you get put on the front lines and die. Right. Yeah. And, and this whole narrative reads very much like a political drama, like kind of Gundam-esque, but like very much focused and very centralized on like Thundercracker's feelings about the situation. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of this fanfic. I feel like we should kind of get the main beats of the main plot. And, you know, do whatever asides. And we can always mm-hmm. come back to various, you know, lengthy plot threads that we're probably going to be skimming over here. 
Yeah, I think we'll be talking in broad strokes in general. It's a pretty, uh, you describe it as dense, I think. It's a lot going yeah. on, and I'm going to say right now, it's I, I, I enjoyed reading it, so if you want to check it out, then you should. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah mean, I enjoyed it too. It's extremely yeah. well written, and the political intrigue is done extremely well, as well as everybody's a political player. And all of their motives, like Thundercracker often takes a look and talks about like every other person or transformer he knows, auto, right, robot, whatever they are, they're something that he knows and thinks about what their motivation might be. So there's a lot of introspection and ideology that's going on behind this political lens. And it, it works very well, I think. The, the author is also very talented in verbiage, like their word choice is excellent. And even when they use, like, elevated language, that may not make sense to most, like, to some people. It's it's used deliberately, I think. So we're going to be talking in general uh, broad strokes, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that makes so sense. So here's, here's the deal. While Thundercracker is getting, like, settled in as minister just in, like, that first couple of their days, they're out of touch with their teammates, squad mates, whatever, and they get sent out on another mission. And Thundercracker's, you know, bud, Ravage gets, I think the term is scrapped. Is that what Transformers say these days? He's like, he doesn't like beasts, right? Well, Ravage? Wait, no, not Ravage. Um, uh, what's it's not Ravage. Oh, Ruckus. Bludgeon. Uh, Ruckus. Ruckus? <laughs> Ruckus? No. Ruckus? Wait, what? Uh, yeah, Ruckus, right? Well, Ruckus I'm sorry, there's the too many Decepticons. Inj- gets injured and then repaired by Mix. That, right. That's what we're talking well, about. As, yeah. Right, yes. Ruckus. Well, as far as um as far as Thundercracker is concerned, Ruckus has been destroyed. And that, you know, pisses them off a lot. And so while performing their um, Minister of Propaganda duties, apparently perfectly competently, they're also sneaking out at night and kind of graffitiing up the town uh yeah. with with the message, send out your best first. Like pushing pushing that um, message that Sentinel Prime had wanted them to spread anyway. Which they write in Latin? <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Apparently, space robots use Latin, but it's not actually Latin. Like, they, they make a point of saying it's like some Latin equivalent. Yeah. Let me see if I can find it. Dirige. Yeah, it's a Dirige Optimum Prime. Send out the best first. Right. right. And at this point in the story, um, well, around this point, where Thundercracker's talking about being Minister of Propaganda and creating this graffiti, he kind of realizes that Optimus Prime may have taken his name from this piece of graffiti. And that's the point <laughs> I was talking about earlier, where he's, like, kind of horrified and embarrassed. <laughs> it's, it's a really funny scene. Like, most of these scenes are written with the human component in mind, and they're really well done. Now, this draws the attention of Megatron. I mean, there's also the fact that uh, in his role as Minister of Propaganda, Thundercracker gets to, like, blame a military failure on Megatron and then is, like, worried about getting, you know, getting killed or something because of it. Megatron's a very popular military commander. The first job as uh, Minister of Propaganda is to pin a recent military failure on Megatron exclusively. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. And Megatron is like a very popular commander, like with the troops, leads from the front. And that means they're very unpopular with the overlord because, you know, they don't want the military being more loyal to a charismatic Napoleon figure than they are to like the actual ruler. Yeah. In the story, Megatron themselves started off as a thundercracker. Then once they got promoted out of it, they didn't quit their um, their assignment and kept on thundercracking even with their with their rank. Mm-hmm. So Thundercracker right, draws the attention of Megatron, who sort of kidnaps slash recruits them and then kind of convinces them to support their own sort of like, um, I don't know what you'd call it, faction, right? Uh, Secret cabal within the government. Thundercracker describes it as a cult of personality at one point, or compares yeah. it to at least. It's like Megatron's definitely laying the groundwork for a power grab, but of course, it's not like Thundercracker knows any of the details of what those plans are. Yeah. And Thundercracker's kind of going along with it, and also Megatron knows all their secrets. And the other thing is that one of the things that convinces them is that they've salvaged a ruckus and managed <laughs> to, like, you know, put ruckus in a Bacta tank, um, Energon tank, whatever, and yeah. you know, work on repairing them. <laughs> There's so much plot in this fanfic. Yes. And so, but then a lot of the middle of the story is Thundercracker being sent with their right-hand robot flywheels, and also there's other characters involved, on a mission to go track down the source of, like, a broadcast from the Autobots that seems to be revealing, like, where the military leadership's all going to be gathered, except they're not sure they can trust its providence. And, like, there's a whole lot of details there. Yeah, well, so they basically they were the sent to... Encrypted. Well, okay, so... Uh, <laughs> yeah. So what it is is the Wargram... Wargrams. So what it is is the <laughs> Wargames transmission, and... It's a transmission that the Decepticons intercepted that describes a war games scenario where all the Autobots will be in one in one particular place at one particular time, and they were told by some higher ups to go check out the the original transmission to see if they missed anything. Okay, right. Yeah, and so there's a lot of that kind of like getting out to the reconnaissance base where that transmission was received, and it's it's rather it's rather geo geopolitical a little bit more than i would have expected because i'm just like oh yes cybertron it's a big robot planet but here it's like really relevant like what the kind of background of various cities and stuff is they have to like sneak in through areas pass by customs at one point i don't you know it's interesting there's a lot of talks about city states uh, and the cultures of the city-states and the languages of the city-states and what side mm-hmm. they were on before the war and after and what happened to them and their population. What models of Transformers were produced there in large numbers or not or whatever. I have questions about that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's also a lot of um, interpersonal wheelings and dealings with the team they set up to do this because no one really trusts each other because they're all Decepticons. And um, Thundercracker also has to question the nature of Decepticons that they're you know, they're never trusting of each other and they're always aggressive. And he kind of reflects and reviews his own personal standpoint and the standpoint of others he's with. But he's never really trusting of his compatriots. And then, yeah, there's the element of his reflection on political intrigue as well as, like, whose motive is what. 
like at a certain point, like Flywheels is his most trusted compatriot, but at a certain point he doubts him as well. But he has his other <laughs> friends, like he has friends he lived with, you know, and he knows them to the point where he's like, oh, uh, I can't remember all their names specifically because it's hard to remember all their names, but like this guy was always meticulously clean. He would clean up after us. We, we'd make a mess just because we knew he liked cleaning up after us. And then at a certain point, he starts to doubt everyone, even the robots he lived with. So there's a lot of emotions. Now, just to summarize the, the plot in like the broadest of strokes, it turns out this whole mission was engineered by Megatron as an attempt to for one thing, get Soundwave in place without suspicion, who wasn't actually on this mission, but, like, anyway, um, to get Soundwave in position and lure the Autobot leadership into assaulting the Overlord so they would kill the, the Decepticon Overlord, leaving a power vacuum that Megatron would step into. And also, part of the plan was hopefully getting Flywheels killed, because Flywheels is kind of a potential, it turns out, pol- dangerous political rally point potentially and we yeah, can the, get into why that is later the story takes and, a lot of um, twists and turns and the flywheel reveals one of the um, ultimate ones one of the last ones yeah it is and in the end you know thundercracker like comes back and you know the the decepticon leadership uh overlord has been killed and like you know megatron is going to step into this place and i, I like that thunder thundercracker's reaction is like oh yeah like with someone that ruthless and, like, cunning in power, this war is going to be over in no time. Yeah. Like, Thundercracker has no problem having been used in that sense. Like, it kind of makes sense that a Decepticon would not take it personally in that way. Yeah, Thundercracker's still thinking like a low-level troop, where they're not concerned too much about who's on top just as long as they get the job done. Yeah. And, and the job done, you know, being on the front lines of the war, and it's a very messy, protracted war, Thundercracker wants the war to be over. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Thundercracker would like the Decepticons to win that war. Yeah. But, you know, a swift end to the war is definitely, you know, one of their desires. There's the slightest bit of, like, Yasarian, I feel like, in Thundercracker. Not quite, mm-hmm. but just it's just very much that frontline grunt perspective. But he on the situation. It's also the minister of propaganda, but you know, I agree with you because he he never really seems like he's fully accepted his station, you know, and he's always playing all sides. But he's just like whatever, like this is all bullshit. Well, he's been doing subversive <laughs> activities since day one. Yeah, right. But I hear the Assyrian comparison because he he's not buying it. He's, right. And he's always questioning, you know, even his own motivation. He's constantly questioning his own motivations. Um, and he's like, why did I do that? I don't know. You know. Now, let's talk about some more specifics. And we can also get to, like, the specifics of what happens at the very, very end that ties it back in at the end of the discussion. But some specifics of things that are in this story. Um, I'd like to say in general, it's interesting, there's a lot of parallels put in place between, you know, our kind of Western culture that we are familiar with and Cybertron culture, mm-hmm. but, but not in every regard, just in some regards. And so, for example, 
there is a religion of worshipping Primus that is apparently not universal, but kind of like seems to take the role of Christianity in this setting, kinda. And it's also not and, Autobot specific, uh, generally. Right, like Thundercracker is a devout, I forget what the adjective form is, Primus Cian. Um, Primate? Primate. <laughs> no, that's Beast Wars. Well, now this is, uh, speaking of Beast Wars, there are Beast Wars characters in this. There's Beast Wars references all over, at least. Right. Like, um, but well, I, I think that might be the wrong way. A lot of Beast Wars characters are references from G1 characters that, that might be going the wrong it. direction. Okay. Yeah. Just like Megatron named themselves after Megatron, right? Right. Yeah. However, at, at one point when they're talking, <laughs> there's this weird, like, um, racial-ish division between transformers who turn into beasts and transformers who do not right it's 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 a little odd it's it's kind of like in wicked like the you know the book not the the musical like where the fact that robotic life forms that were considered beasts are now talking and playing a political role is a relatively recent development and not everybody's on board with that and it's one of the major prejudices that thundercracker has at the beginning of the story is like you know screw Screw beasts, whatever. Right. Um, yeah. Not a fan. This becomes so much more prominent more than halfway through the story, I think, is that all of a sudden, uh, Thundercracker's reflections are like on how his bias towards the beasts. And it becomes a major political thing where the beasts are trying to take positions in the council and people are like, voting for them or against them. And that becomes the major political threat of this narrative. And there's one funny thing where Scorpionok, who is a, now a, also a minister of, I don't know, the arts, maybe? something. It, it was minister a long Scorpions. list of stuff. It was like arts, the beast, and something else. Yeah. <laughs> several things. It was actually kind of funny. It was like defense military and the arts like like a bunch of things that didn't fit together with the arts was the last one but yeah he claims that scorpionok used to be his pet and and there's this whole thread where it's like beast didn't used to talk and they kind of reveal that over and over and that when thundercracker was young he saw a political conference where like ravage was speaking who ravage turns into a cheetah i think cheetah so leopard i don't know <laughs> but there was another Transformer wasn't speaking as much. People suspected that they just put like an unspeaking beast with a speaking beast. Um, so there's this whole idea that in their culture that this author identifies that like the beasts aren't fully humanoid enough to have the you know the ruling mind. But at at the same time, the the author is one hundred percent you know conscious of beast wars and the fact that in the far far future of this species everyone is going to be beast mode based and like there's various kind of references or musings or like foreshadowings of that in the story as well by the way scorponok is the minister for beasts executions and the arts there you go. <laughs> yeah. i thought it was really funny i mean there's a lot of little funny while we're on that note, can I share my favorite funny part? Please. 
it's the caterpillar side when <laughs> Thundercracker is talking to Optimus and, you know, it's like a break in the story. And to, to make a point, Thundercracker is like saying, okay, so look at this little, you know, earth life form. It's a caterpillar. And, you know, it's just a, a lowly little thing that crawls on the ground. But at one point it goes into a cocoon and it turns into a butterfly, which is beloved and can fly. But once it does, it can never go back to being a caterpillar. Like, so it has to give up everything about itself. And Optimus Prime is like, actually, that's a worm. <laughs> and Thundercracker says, oh, uh, what do worms turn into? Optimus says, nothing. It's just a worm. Nothing. Thundercracker's like, oh, well, that's just depressing, isn't it? Yeah. And, and that's where great. the scene ends. And then it goes yeah. back to the story. Uh, Optimus is like, uh, it's like uh, nothing. Uh, maybe another worm, but it's the right kind of worm. Cut in half. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. They go actually on with that narrative. Because, like, you know, it makes you reflect on what Transformers are. They always turn into something, you know. And it's weird for him that it won't turn into anything. But then later on in the story, they talk about the worm again when they break away from the story, from the main narrative again. And they're like, oh, well, I guess, you know, if you cut off its head, it's going to grow a new tail. And then Thundercracker's like, but I don't know which side it's <laughs> and then Optimus is like, oh, well, I guess with some worms, though, if you cut off either side, they'll grow, you know, a new head and a new tail. They'll turn into two separate beings, right? And then Thundercracker's like, but how do I know which one it is? So there's, like, these funny little comedy moments, but also ideological and philosophical moments that relate to the nature of what a Transformer is makes you think about like what it's like to be an entity that transforms as a and it also flows into what they talk about later about the uh, I think what they label the gestalt ones the dual cons that have mm-hmm. two parts and they're like which one is really the head which one's the tail yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and apparently from an outside perspective someone like Thundercracker would tend to think of one as the dominant and the other one is like kind of more of a drone mm-hmm. but that's not the experience of being a gestalt and you look at it and you see it from the other direction too, like a somewhat major character is, um, what's their name? The forgettable one. Oh, <laughs> I actually forgot. Yeah. Spectro. <laughs> but it's hilarious Spectro. because Spectro is described as being instantly forgotten as soon as they're seen and heard to the point where they're left alone for hours at a time. Nobody realizes they're there. You know. And I think this is a joke over like Spectro and the other two that look just like Spectro just being like crowd filler characters a lot of the time in the comics or something, I think. <laughs> it's just like, oh, here's here's a few more Decepticons, whatever. Yeah. And also, they just have a super boring robot mode. Yeah, like there's a point, yeah, they like, there's so, there's so much humor here because Spectro will keep talking for like 20, presumably it was like 20 minutes describing a mission. Everyone, then, like, another, you know, another robot will be like, oh, hello, who are you? Did you just get here? Like, it's pretty funny. Well, anyway, the point here is that you see Spectro primarily in the story as an independent robot. Mm-hmm. But their conflict, such as it is, is mostly that, like, they don't want to lose themselves in the combined form of of Reflector, I guess, is the combined version of the three of them. But also, they're not stable on their own, like, not not mentally or emotionally stable, uh, being detached from their two for a long period of time. And, like, it's it's kind of an abrupt yeah. change of 
of face towards the end of the story where Spectre's like, actually, I decided I'm going to hang out with these two more. Uh, I mean, like, you know, recombine with these two. But but it is like part of this story kind of examining the various forms of being a transformer and ways in which you interact or don't or transform or don't or whatever. Holy, a lot of philosophy. You didn't... Spectra seemed like a comedy character at first, and then because the joke was always like no one noticed his existence and didn't pay attention to what he was saying, and that's why he was a good reconnaissance officer. And then later on, it seemed like it was kind of funny that he was one third of a reconnaissance device. <laughs> then he becomes a real character towards the end, and his role becomes more important. And Thundercracker starts to care about him. Just like Thundercracker starts to sort of care about everyone towards the end. Right. Like a, it's like a few Beast characters where Thundercracker was originally completely disdainful of them. So through the course of this story, Thundercracker is exposed personally to a whole lot of other types of Transformer. Other than, uh, you know, before that it was this Thundercracker hanging out with Thundercrackers, right? Mm-hmm. And so like you said, Tori, that is definitely kind of a main part of the journey here. By the way, thinking of, like, these different types of Transformers and experiences of Transformers, one of the weirdest things to try to wrap one's mind around is apparently how Transformers reproduce. <laughs> because it's very clear in the context of this fanfic that they are produced, like, you you make them, someone makes them, there's factories, you know, like, they, they make more Transformers very deliberately, more yeah. deliberately than humans generally do. But they are... But this fanfic author also gives them a sort of, like, nuclear family equivalent that is alluded to a few times, where it's like, no, you have parents. They're called guardians. Right. And there's an aside where, like, Thundercracker is like, oh, yeah, like, my guardians, you know, bought the the hype about this Thundercracker class of, you know, robot, and, and, like, that's why they got one of those. But it's like, wait, why Why does one get a robot? Why do you get a child? Why do you become a guardian? What is going on here? <laughs> yeah, that, that's the only part that's not really clear. Like, a lot of the other stuff, the political intrigue is explained really well. But that part, not so sure. Yeah, I I don't know. It doesn't feel like you needed to map any kind of like human societal structures, except that there probably are references like Transformers being like siblings or that kind of thing. Whatever. Yeah, there are. (laughs) um, Yeah, there are siblings. I just mean like Transformers media in general. Yeah. Okay. So anyway. The reproduction page on the Transformers wiki is not fun. (laughs) <laughs> uh not fun or is fun i know there's the picture under the uh subcategory budding which isn't a lot of fun <laughs> in, f- in fact the caption says budding doesn't look like much fun at all it looks like alien versus predator all over again <laughs> <laughs> yeah it seems like there's a couple of ways that transformers can be made <laughs> whatever um <laughs> plots plots in the fanfic right um can i just talk again how cinder twin is the best name cinder twin not not cinder yeah. it's sinner like you sinner are, you are going to hell right sinner quill or, or <laughs> synergy wait what <laughs> synergy isn't that with an o with a y it's yes yeah, 
Yeah, no, this is this is definitely like hell sinner twin. Well, yeah, but it, it's also I think an illusion to that, right? <laughs> Uh, uh, maybe I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, first line of the uh, uh, wiki article: Like his fellow Terracon, Sinner Twin, aka Twin Strike, is a horrific insult to nature itself. <laughs> oh yeah, the Transformers wiki is in itself a delight. Yes, it's a work of art. So yeah, and th- this this abomination that is a two headed you know dog like monster thing is also a um, customs officer in this fanfic. And I, I like That's that cool is a theme. theme that is touched on a couple of times in this fanfic. Is that like this war has been going on for a ridiculous span of time by human standards? Like, isn't it like millions of years that this war goes on? And like the main Transformers cast in Generation One are in like stasis for a lot of that, mm-hmm. but like the war has still been going or something. Something like that. Yeah, that they they, uh, they crash into Earth prehistoric times and get w- woken up in the twentieth century. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that Optimus complains about in one of the asides that, I mean, he complains about, but that makes it sound laments about, I should say. It's got a little bit more pathos than that. Is that, like, for one thing, this war has been going on for so long that, like, Optimus has, like, robots shutting down of old age. It's been going on for so long, and Transformers live for a very, very, very long time. Right. And for another thing, Optimus is like, yeah, everybody has more of a background than, you know, at, at at this point, everybody's just a soldier, but like people had their own things going on before the war started. Like everyone has their own background. Like he was, I forget he was talking about um, Ultra Magnus or something used to play the musical instrument or, you know, I forget. And you see some of that here where like the political situation has not yet devolved. It feels like to the kind of total war that's all anybody is doing um, that, you know, you might see in later Transformers situation. And so you have, like, someone who is a customs officer. You have, you know, people who... I guess most people are still pretty much military-affiliated one way or another, though, doing military things. They lament at one point that... Uh, Optimus talks about how, like, did you know that this... this uh, That, like, this Cybertronian actually knows a lot about accents, and this one, like, collects stamps or something? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Like, right. like, <laughs> right. like, they're actually more than just soldiers. They're actually their own beings. Yeah, and I think that has a lot of resonance because from what I glanced at in the Transformers wiki, <laughs> for these characters from the from the Marvel comics, you know, in the Marvel comics continuity, it'll mm-hmm. be like, oh, um, what's the deal with this person? Oh, well, they were introduced as a Decepticon soldier in this issue. What was the deal with this, you know, this Decepticon? Oh, well, they were a, a Decepticon serving under Scorponok on Cybertron. And it's like, yeah, they've got, to, they've got to have more background than that. Every single one of them. But, like, they're coming from a franchise where characters are cranked out as toys to be toy soldiers, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it, it has a certain amount of, like, thematic resonance, I feel like, with just kind of, like, the origins of the toys that are the origins of the characters. This author just tried to make sense of everything thematically, I think. Let's see. Um, another theme is, uh, not a theme, a kind of motif, a recurring element thing is like they've got this chess equivalent, right? That people are seen to be playing. Oh, right. yeah, that was cool. 
Yeah, it was cool. And one of the lessons that Thundercracker learns relatively early on from this um, intelligent rat beast transformer whose name I forget now. Is that right? Rat. Not rat. Talking about uh, the, the, the small one, right? The small one. Yeah. Lenny's. Yeah, well, the, the one that was specifically small, abnormally small. Overkill. Yeah, how could I forget that name? Overkill. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so I not- <laughs> is revealed to be a byproduct of an experiment. Right. Well, in this context, I was just saying that Overkill is the one who kind of... Um, Thundercracker gets a little bit chummier with in their first bad impressions... And, um, anyway, and states the lesson relating to this chess equivalent game, which is that, like, it doesn't matter how many pieces your opponent has, it matters what the positions are, right? Which is true for chess as well. All that matters is... All you need to win... Yeah, fine. Uh, actually, I forget what what you need to win. What do you need to win, Dom? You need a general and a pawn. Right. And that's it. Right. Potentially speaking. And so that comes back a couple of times, as does the concept of being in a um, a draw situation where neither side can take any action, like um, having a standoff. It's another term used, but yeah, they they instead of check, it's um, stasis, and you have like dual stasis or something, which is like you're both in check, and then full stasis, which is checkmate. Yeah, right. And that's kind of colored by the fact that. Uh... Uh, that's kind of cleared by the fact that uh, Thundercracker doesn't even really understand the game himself, but he's had it explained <laughs> to him. So he gets to kind of use the analogy. He's like, oh, well, I think it's sort of like what they've described. And especially because Megatron apparently is running his own, uh, what do they call the game? Uh, whatever, board. And robot chess. Yeah, robot chess. It's not what they call it, but. <laughs> He sees Megatron's robot chessboard, which is apparently supposed to ally with real world, align itself with real world events. Yeah, that's hilarious that Megatron literally has the villainous chessboard, like, set up in their room, like, that Thundercracker accidentally, you know, sees towards the end of the fanfic, where it's like, oh yeah, no, literally I'm moving pieces around the board that are fashioned in the shape of these various actual people I'm manipulating or using or attempting to have killed or whatever. Wouldn't that be Megatron, though? (laughs) No, I mean, it's not out of character. It's just kind of, you know, that's that's commitment. It's funny, too, because uh, um, this whole story is Thundercracker, like, getting to be manipulated into working. Well, not necessarily manipulated, but, like, captured by Megatron and working for Megatron and then having his own motivations. But, like, it's kind of this outsider view of Megatron where he's, like, not the most powerful, he's not the overlord, but he's got his own designs, but he's not the central character at all, and neither is Optimus Prime. So it's this outsider Decepticon's view of who Megatron is and what he's doing. Yeah. The concept of double stasis comes back at the very, very end of the fanfic, and while we're on that thread, I guess we... I, well, I guess maybe we should save the very, very, very last part of the fanfic for later. Yeah, whatever. 
Um, anyway, it comes back at the end because at the very end, I guess that parallel is finally drawn between that double stasis situation where neither side can really gain an advantage and the entire Decepticon Autobot conflict on Earth or maybe in general. And um, Optimus Prime ends up letting Thundercracker go, not specifically because of the storytelling like Thundercracker was like maybe expecting, but just like, okay, yeah, yeah, you can go. And, like, it's cool. Send, send this message to Megatron. And Optimus has data compiled as a, from a graphical survey of the planet that basically shows that they've been fighting on Earth for these Energon reserves. And like the amount remaining on Earth is so low that it's no longer worth fighting over it. That it would like take more energy to extract it than it would to, you know, than you would get from harnessing it. Um, and so there's this ultimate sort of futility of this war theme going on in the story. <laughs> I feel like it sh it deserves a closer read just because it's like all I I'm thinking about this story in terms of lots of threads and I haven't really pieced together how they all kind of fit together but I feel like there was an intention for, like, thematic intentions for how they do fit together. Yeah, I mean, there's an interesting piece, which is what happens towards the end actually has more to do with the Thundercracker's, like, excuse me, acceptance of beast robots and anything else. Um, because what mm -hmm. happens is there's, like, a whole political uh, conference, I guess, where Ravage, you know, the, like, Cheetah, whatever he is, big cat, robot is robot, robot cat thing. He's like he's having his whole speech, and uh, we've gotten through this whole narrative that Thundercracker is not a fan of beasts, but slowly but surely he's changed the ideology. He has his last opportunity to like look at his compatriot and say like whether he accepts Ravage as a potential political, uh, you know, leader. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to challenge him, kind of thing. And I feel like that's, the, like, the big turning point in terms of the story for his character is accepting the beasts. And there's this yeah. idea of prejudice against, the, prejudice against the beasts. So it's very interesting that it ends up... He has a moment with Overkill towards the end also, where, like, they're parting ways, and he says, you're a good robot, Overkill. For a beast, he asked, flying in front of my face. For a Cybertronian, I said, reaching up to shake his tiny hand. And you know, that kind of thing. And then there's then there's just also kind of like the, the plot threads coming together on the Sentinel Prime thing, because Sentinel Prime was drawn in by Megatron to lead an attack on the Decepticon Fortress so that Megatron could get the Overlord killed, and Sentinel Prime also dies in the process. And Thundercracker ends up semi-witnessing, like not clearly, oh, but yeah. overhearing the end of Sentinel Prime passing on his matrix of leadership to what is Optimus Prime. Right. Yo, I love that part, though, because he sees... He's had these voices in his head. He finally realizes he's picking up Autobot transmissions. And then he's, like, close to Sentinel Prime while he's dying their Autobot, which I think is supposed to be Optimus Prime. And... He's like, he sees the other Autobot, like, cover him and hold him for a while. Then he walks up to Sentinel Prime's, you know, dead body. And is like, his chest cavity was open. So I filled his chest cavity and closed it and walked away. And then I detonated my missile and the one inside his chest. 
I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so he filled his chest cavity with a missile. So that was great. So he he burned the body to make sure it didn't get captured, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, it was, yeah, it was intentional. It's just the way it was phrased was so kind of strange and elegant. <laughs> we haven't really talked about the the whole dealie with flywheels, but it seems kind of, it's a, it's a secret that people are concerned about, and yet it doesn't seem to really directly affect anything. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I guess? Yeah. Like, flywheels, well, I, I don't know. Well. I guess if it... Go on. It, it's another uh, thing, because in the... One theory of the fanfic is like all these divisions in this culture. You have a, you know, um, Autopot, Decepticon, uh, human-looking robots, the Beast ones, the uh, mm-hmm. the from the uh, geographic, uh, geographic from different, divisions. different city states, different ranks in the military, and and even like the regular Transformers to the dual cons or Gestalt ones. But what they come down to time and time again is that it's all just, um. Not superficial, but like it all comes down to arbitrary or yeah. And flywheels is the, is the ultimate representation of that, where they find out that along with being a dual con, flywheels is built to be uh, exactly midpoint. Well, because they called um, Autobots and Decepticons, Decepticons not like two different races, but two points on a spectrum. So <laughs> Flywheels was designed to be the perfect midpoint between both Autobots Autocon, <laughs> Autobots and Decepticons. <laughs> Autocons and Deceptibots. Right. <laughs> Where do you fall on the Autobot Decepticon spectrum? Uh, that is something they talk about, is that there's a spectrum. <laughs> which I like. Right. That's a personal question. That's true. Right. Okay, when you put it that way, Dom, I understand the thematic relevance. And so flywheels, um, that's why flywheels is possibly politically dangerous, because they could be kind of a unifying force. Mm -hmm. And uh, Thundercracker, when they find out the secret, and that Megatron knows this, and that Megatron kind of tried to get flywheels killed in an extremely roundabout, subtle way, tells tells, uh, Flybot, what's their name again? Flywheels. It's a great name. Flywheels. How can you forget that? <laughs> There's just too many names. I, I I lost it in the middle of my sentence. Okay, remember Thundercracker th- tells Flywheels like just just run, like get off the planet, like stay away as long as Megatron's in power. Well, yeah, uh, Thundercracker tells Flywheels, "Hey, you remember that ticket you bought to go off world?" And Flywheels is like, "Yeah, I don't really have the time." It's like, "Go now, go, go now, take all your stuff. <laughs> yeah. right. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred bucks. Go now." Right. Take you and your um, tank treads, which aren't wheels, and get out of here. <laughs> uh, well, it was a show that Thundercracker really cared about. Yeah. He was, like, the only guy who'd ever cared for him. I think this whole narrative, like, from a personal standpoint, from Thundercracker's perspective, is about him learning how to care about it. I guess. I mean, it felt like Thunder... Yeah, okay, I understand. Other people who are not exactly part of Thundercracker's in-group, right? Yeah. Because I feel right. like from from the word go, Thundercracker cared about their squad mates. Well, yeah, because like... that was, yeah, that was the start. But, it was but that was it, really. Other Thundercrackers. He lived with other Non-Thundercrackers. Thundercrackers, right. about the other Thundercrackers. Then he and also, became minister of propaganda. His social circle changed. But he couldn't really accept those other people. Like, he thought Flywheels was a good 
companion, a loyal servant, essentially. But towards the end, he starts caring about beasts, he starts caring about flywheels, and he starts caring because, about Autobots, you know? Because um, in the beginning, Thundercracker uh, describes himself as just a uh, repaint variant of a very common uh, type of, of Decepticon type of plane, which, like, even look at, looking at the wiki, it says even his profile art is just repaint. So that mm-hmm. fits into the Thundercracker just being the uh, Jarhead Shock Troops nameless grunt. So he's always thought of himself as a group or a repaint or just another thing of the same thing. Totally. And it kind of begs the question of why the author chose to write about this character. Like, it's obvious they wanted to create a narrative, I think, that helped this character find their individuality. No matter what the individuality was. Because sometimes it's not good. Like, there's still a Decepticon. You know, there's still a, a quote-unquote bad guy in the whole narrative. But they find their individuality. I think that's the main point of the narrative. And it's really interesting to do that. With kind of a minor villain. I mean, not even villain, but like front type character. It's also interesting to think that even after all of this, that they still spent the entire uh, G1 series as your generic Decepticon. Mm-hmm. Like, they still went through all these transformations and they still think these things about uh, all, all their Fallout Transformers, but they're still just the same, quote, evil soldier as always. Well, the wiki seemed to indicate that Thundercracker, in that continuity, at least the Marvel Comics continuity, showed a little bit more sympathy for Earthlings than uh, other Decepticons would right. or something. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe there's something there that the author is drawing on. But, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing about fan fiction, right? Is that then you go back to the source and you're like, wait, but, but I remember the character being different. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't have enough familiarity with this character in particular to know if the characterization was on point. But I do know that the author clearly wanted to explore the idea of this character's emotional state and like, who they would be circumstances in which they grew up and developed, and I think they did an excellent job of making the character a very real, relatable it, It's interesting reading these fanfics where I really am not particularly familiar with the source material, you know, only passingly, because you just know that, like, you know, ten years from now I'm going to be watching some, like, new Transformers cartoon <laughs> or whatever with, like, my then 13-year-old child and, like, Thundercracker is going to show up, and I'm going to be like, "Hey, it's Thundercracker! I know Thundercracker." When in fact, I know nothing about Thundercracker. <laughs> it's Thunder- like th- not actually. It's Thundercracker. They're, they're so deep, and they've learned so much, and they've been on a journey. Right. <laughs> then Thundercracker gets like blown up by a missile by from Optimus. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. it's an interesting <laughs> thing. It's kind of freeing reading a fan fiction about a series that you know next to nothing when the fan fiction is good. So it just turns into uh, an original story, <laughs> a, a, a just original piece of fiction, kind of. But I think either way, like, I mean, not to be 100% sure, but I don't think this character had a lot of development in the original. So I think the author had a lot of freedom to do what they want. Right. I'm sure you're right. Yeah. So and also, they I've, did I've got a to lot say, with the, the cool political stuff in the world, too. So that was dope. And, and they also do... I, I, you know, as a, as a continuity nerd, even if it's continuity I don't know, I appreciate little exchanges that are not super distracting, but are entertaining, like Thundercracker and Optimus talking. And the conversation kind of turns at one point to Thundercracker being like, 
hey, you remember that time when we were shunted into a like a weird alternate dimension limbo with a race of cybernetic monkeys because my future self, who was you know reformatted by the devil, like came back in time and like we got displaced and and Optimus Prime was like, I remember. Yeah, that was one of the one. The <laughs> that was very memorable. Yeah. Wait a second. Just like the absurdity that comes with like having a deep continuity with like a lot of stuff that happened in like an ongoing comic or whatever. With different timelines. Right. Ah. Anything that you two want to touch on before we close out our discussion of best first? There's one thing I wanted to like say. I don't know. I think I've kind of expressed it, but this is probably one of the best written fanfics we've read. Like the language is really good. It's concise. It's well paced. The political intrigue holds up, and you're kind of drawn through all the way through the fic. So, like, I just wanted to give it extra props for being really well written. Yeah, I think the writing is good. It is compelling. I feel like there's more characters and stuff here than the story actually needs. I feel like it could have been streamlined a little bit. And like I understand that like it's getting at the themes from a lot of different directions, but I found it a little bit distracting. I, I mean, okay, so I'm not a Transformers fan, so maybe it would have been easier to keep track of like the cast yeah. of characters if I had known it better. I was going to say that this wasn't, we're not the target audience for this. When I'm not the target audience. Like, that is definitely like, true. I know Optimus Prime, I know Megatron, but other than that, I knew like none, literally none of the characters. Uh, didn't know Star- Starscream doesn't even appear. Like Starscream's name dropped. Never mind. I think they're in the council at one point. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I don't. Soundwave is more important than Starscream. So there's a lot of, and that's still not very important. So I think there's a lot of name drops and nods, but if you're familiar with the continuity, I don't think it's that confusing. Hmm. Okay. Well, I didn't find. Yeah, I mean, par- probably because I'm not the target audience. I didn't find it the most enjoyable read, but I definitely was interested, and I thought it was a really interesting story, and it did, you know, make me want to kind of like delve in a little bit more to finding out a little bit more about the background of some of these characters. But the author does a pretty good job about presenting them in the context of the story on their own terms. Like, yeah. you don't need to know anything about Spectro besides what you read here. You don't need to, like, know what the deal is with Flywheel. Like, you're introduced to Flywheel. It's fine. Are we, like, all those kinds of things. Are we moving to uh, dislikes and likes? I guess we are moving into dislikes and likes. So dislikes, I don't know. Even knowing I'm not the target audience, I feel like it is it could be sharper, it could be edited down somewhat. That's just my impression. You can disagree with me, <laughs> but not in public, or else it'll undermine my authority. <laughs> I think my dislike comes down to maybe another editing pass also. Um, the original story, I, well, you, have, you have the frame story and the reflexive story, I guess, the... the the main story is kind of weak, but that's okay. I, I would have liked something more interesting happening there, but not... I mean, so mm-hmm. much was going on anyways. There was a couple times coming back from the transitions between the two stories where it, there seemed to be like a jump in continuity that was disorienting. Like I, I checked, I, Once or twice, I checked to make sure I had the file in the right spot like because there was like a cliffhanger ending and then then Optimus and Thundercracker were talking and then went back to a different point in time. 
but I think it, yeah. a little editing could probably fix that right up. I remember what you were talking about. Uh, I mean, I, I experienced the same thing. To some extent, I think they were supposed to be jarring, but I don't think there was any particular point in those transitions being jarring. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a way the author had of building suspense, but they didn't need it. There were plenty of other ways to build, like, suspense and interest that they were doing just fine. Yeah, the whole thing was suspenseful and interesting. Right. Yeah. And I I agree. Like, my, my criticism falls in the same vein. Um, the frame narrative, I felt like when it did go back to the frame, it was just, I think, you said the exact same thing, Dom, just kind of jarring. Like, there could have been a better transition. And also, within the narrative, there were jumps back and forth in time, despite the fact that we were already existing in, you know, like a vignette sort of narrative. It's like a, and so that made it a little bit... That being said, I actually felt like, of a lot of fanfic we've read, this had the least amount of problems. Like, that was... There wasn't that, that many. Like, most of it... What was your favorite thing about it? I, like, I felt like I have very little Transformers knowledge, but, like, I didn't really need it. Um, I felt like the author adapted the characters into their own, and I was fine with that. I felt like the characters had a lot of life, and very often they go into philosophical like attempts to comprehend the Transformers universe which would mirror you know how we understand the universe like concepts of duality concepts of change and transformation were being reapplied through the lens of Transformers through the lens of these characters who felt like real very vibrant characters I spent a lot of time like pausing and reflecting back on a paragraph that, was just, that I just read, thinking about how that represented, you know, how we live our lives as humans. And that's what I love to do when I absorb media, is, like, think about how it impacts me and my life and the lives of other creatures on this planet. And I think that there was a lot of intellectual depth there. Hmm. I think what I liked about it was... um how alive the setting felt uh being somebody who's not that familiar with uh transformers lore especially g1 stuff the idea or the impression i have of life on uh cybertron in my mind kind of melds with the um i just had the word for it like like that um that one city in star wars that's the whole planet coruscant Coruscant, sort of like a coruscant type place with like a big city and then there is there is some wars or something, but right off the bat, you get them talking about different city states, and the city states have different languages, and there's a lot of iconic um, hand gestures going on, which is their language or part part of the, of the language, which means different things, which some characters do in order for like emphasis and flavor, and I forgot. I got so excited about that again. I derailed my own train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I'm and like, I'm with you, Dom. I think that's a, a strength. And specifically, I'd say my favorite thing about the fanfic is probably the first fifth or so of it, mm-hmm. where 
you are being dumped into the setting from a very specific perspective and you learn so much about it and the plot moves so quickly where like you get used just get used to uh thundercrackers like position and then suddenly getting like launched into the stratosphere of like the ranks and like dealing with that and, like the propaganda and political situation all the way up through when thundercracker sort of encounters and gets drawn into megatron circle and like what megatron's position is i that was all so super interesting and i feel like the story slows down somewhat once they kind of go on their their mission in the middle which takes up a whole lot of the fanfic oh um um uh refugees that's what i wanted to talk about they mentioned at one point that the war generated a lot of uh refugees that got taken into the autobot side and what happened was they all settled in a part of the city where there was a whole part of the city where there was ethnic Decepticons. And like that phrase like jumped out at me. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, the, the oh, ethnic, yeah. the ethnic Decepticons were treated poorly given like manual labor jobs that were dangerous and was hard for them to integrate into Autobot society. And it's like they did what they could to turn this weird conceptual franchise of giant robots <laughs> in a metal world into feeling pretty human and, and real as sort of things yeah. that mirror what happens in actual conflict. That part was crazy because it was more like um, anything that was on the spectrum the Thundercracker described that was more Decepticon. It was like an ethnic Autobot, you know? Yeah, yeah, but Thundercracker's also just spitballing there. Like, there's I think part of the theme of the fanfic is that there's no real difference. It's a political divide. Yeah. But it also makes sense that you could identify, quote, ethnic Decepticons, unquote, because the Decepticon cities would have factories producing certain models of, of you know, of Transformer. Yeah. Which is, like, you know, also clearly established in this story. So, yeah, it's the world building is really cool. And I think in the first part of the story of especially, the world exploration is really compelling. And it just, like, starts off really strong and made me wanting to read more very well built world yes yes it was built because the world is a robot and and they're god i think yeah i mean god robot whatever (laughs) i'm pretty sure the planet turns into a humanoid robot i'm like 90 percent certain (laughs) that's definitely thing that happens yeah i turn into a humanoid What's your alternate mode? Robinoid like human? <laughs> Cannonoid robo. <laughs> Repeat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Huh. Whew. I feel a little bit tired just from reading that story, just because it took a lot of reading. <laughs> Not not a lot of skimming like some other stuff, but actual no. reading. <laughs> yeah, there's no. stories you can skim and there's stories you really can't, and this was one of the latter. This took the opposite of skimming. This took like rereading to parse. Yeah, I had to back up a few times and be like, wait, 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 do I understand what's happening? Like trolling? Yeah, or do I understand what's being stated? You know, would would, would trolling be the opposite of skimming? Uh, that, you, you skim the surface or, or you, you troll the bottom. <laughs> no. I'm gonna say no. <laughs> I think it holds up. <laughs> well, you believe what you want. I will. I, I believe in you. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to be next week 
reading a shorter story about half the length, hopefully not twice the density, <laughs> because that would be some James Joyce level reading right there. Well, I was going to say, um, where like some of the parts of it but it's another disappear w- in subspace when it transforms. <laughs> it just condenses into a smaller and smaller story. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing about the fanfic. There's a lot of technical stuff, but it was well explained. Yeah. Right, explaining why, you know, most robots turn into, like, a smaller thing of the same size, but some of them can turn smaller, and sometimes it's like, why do you turn into a very small car? That doesn't make any sense, or whatever. They describe, like, a rift in in space opening up and a matter being absorbed in a subspace void, even to the point where, like, some robots have permanently altered their state through their, their subspace matter being permanently absorbed. Anyway... We're oh, talking about that, that was another good thing about the fanfic is that I always wondered, like, why, you know, the, these there's a bunch of robots that turn into, like, oh, a Cybertronian vehicle. And I'm like, why is there a vehicle that someone could ride in on Cybertron? And, I mean, apparently it's just because, you know, different Cybertronians have different alternate modes, right? And so they give each other lifts sometimes. <laughs> it's like, well, you can't fly, but you can ride in me while I fly. Right. Yeah. Or, you know... This it actually did, is useful sometimes. It did so much work to explain a world that ultimately shouldn't make sense. And, and that's maybe <laughs> the main problem. But anyway, moving on. Anyway, what I was saying is, next week, we're doing, for the third week in a row, another franchise I'm not very familiar with, so maybe, maybe I should go back to something else after that. But it's just been a long time since we've done a Star Trek, and, you know... We're a fan fiction podcast, so we have to read Star Trek fan fiction. It's like the law. In this case, however, we've done original series twice. Right. We've done Next Generation in the form of a Sailor Moon crossover. I, I still think you kind of skid by that one as much as you could. I'm sure we'll get back to that because I I want to read Next Gen. I, I know Next Gen way better than I know Deep Space Nine, and yet that is what we're reading next week. Deep Space Nine. A Deep Space Nine fanfic called Wavering Alliance from 1996 by someone named Sophie Massey, M-A-S-S-E, Massey, Massey, something like that. And I'm excited to read it because it's an award winner. I love reading I love finding these old fan fiction awards by like the Star Trek, or in this case, I maybe just Deep Space Nine specifically, like fan fiction community. And, you know, no one has ever paid attention to those awards in probably like 20 years, but I found them and I'm like choosing a story based on that. And that just satisfies something in me that wants to care about things that no one cares about anymore. That's my story. <laughs> but your story. story is Wavering Alliance. Right. You can find a link there at bit.ly slash RFR Alliance. Might need to rewatch an episode of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I don't think I've watched that in the digital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 96. I feel like I think of it as being newer than it was. Because I'm like, oh, Deep Space Nine, that was after Next Gen, right? But that's not quite true. Wasn't it concurrent? It overlapped, yeah. I didn't realize that either. I always thought it was newer than Voyager because I watched way more Voyager with Deep Space Nine. But not, I watched Deep uh-huh. Space Nine recently. No, they had a Voyager crossover with, with the first episode, I think. Like, they leave Deep, Deep Space Nine on Voyager, then start Voyager. Yeah, there's something like that. But 
Easter sign definitely came before Pride. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll all find out what the deal is with the deep space next week. As for this, this was episode 85 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, Best First by Sky Shadow, a Transformers fanfic, and you can find a link there at bit.ly slash rfr best. Because it's the best <laughs> fanfic. First. Possibly. Uh, 85th. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah, more. Whatever. Depends on how you're counting. Maybe less, because we have some two-parters. Mm-hmm. Listen to this one first. Then it'll be oh. the best first. <laughs> I, I see so many people listening to our first episode, you know, and I'm like, oh, geez, I really should have thought more about what fanfic we read for our first episode. <laughs> it was the first first. Uh, no, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't bad. It was a good story. It's just like, it didn't occur to me that people listening to this podcast that reads a different fanfic from different franchises every week would go and listen to the first episode Well, <laughs> instead of just like whatever one caught their attention. Right. We didn't think that anyone was going to be listening to us at first, I think, so... <laughs> I guess we could have planned it ahead a little better. <laughs> yeah, the key is to keep our expectations extremely low so that we are pleasantly surprised by how many people are listening to us. <laughs> I'm pleasantly surprised. You're pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah. However, you could always be listening to more and telling all of your friends, so everybody get to work on that. Because <laughs> I've told my friends and they just kind of look at me blankly. <laughs> uh, all my friends are on the podcast, so it doesn't help. <laughs> So, speaking of the podcast, the intro song for the podcast is the weekly fare off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, contact us on Twitter at RetroFanfic, Facebook at RetroFanfic, Reddit at Fanfic Retrospective, send us an email at RetroFanficRetrospective at gmail.com, go check out the episode art for every episode that has had episode art at our Instagram, which one more time, RetroFanficRetrospective. That's correct. Great. I'll, I'll have that down next time. <laughs> I need to remember all these combinations of retro and fanfic and retro perspective um it's it's a rough job but someone's got to do it you can also leave comments or reviews on apple podcasts in particular is, is good for metrics or whatever service that you use to listen to podcasts on i'm amato i'm tori tron i'm dom we're just three non-transforming earth life forms trying to be nice to each other even though some of us are beasts and some of us are not <laughs> until next time take care non-transform and roll out <laughs> transform and something else <laughs>
Okay. Are we ready? <sighs> yeah, we should start soon because I'm getting distracted by these uh, advertisements at the side of the Transformers wiki. I, ooh, I can get a cyber, <laughs> uh, Tigertron sent to me. I mean, that's pretty appealing. Honestly, well, I, I never really had any Transformer toys, but they seem like they would actually be fun. I don't know. <laughs> like you could my transform cousin. them and then transform them back? My, my, my cousin had one. Oh, <laughs> um, I didn't have that many Transformer toys, but I had the um, the Power Rangers ones that you could transform into the, the different... Like uh, one of the ones that combined like all the robots into a Megazord? It was like you can transform the Zords from their uh, beast form into their other form, their dinosaur form. Huh. They were cool. Cool. Because remember the okay. ninjas had like animals and the, they were dinosaurs. The ninjas' animals weren't dinosaurs, though. Those right, are frogs. Except the words were dinosaurs. Except the crane, which is technically first. a dinosaur. <laughs> no, they were they were all dinosaurs until the ninja era when they were animals. The well, in between, they were legendary creatures, but yeah. Yeah, and the ones who could transform from the dinosaur into the animal shape. Huh. I didn't know they made toys that did that. I thought that was just a, like, a series, like, we are turning the old toy into the new ta- toy transformation sequence, but it's cool if they made one that actually did that. I think it was, like, a McDonald's toy, I'm not going to lie. Hmm. I had a McDonald's um, morpher from when the movie came out that I'm like, actually, that was a really solid toy. Wish I still had it. It had like all the power coins. Oh, that'd be cool. And I had the the other McDonald's, the specialty McDonald's toys where you would get the figurines and the Zord that they could ride in. Hmm. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. No. Let's get to it. It's already 940. Here we go. Ready? Uh-huh. Yes. 